Um, we're at the end of Matthew. We're going to close out this chapter. This is not a text I was excited about. This is one of those texts when you look at it, it's just kind of like, do I, do I really have to preach this? Um, there's just not a lot there. Wasn't sure what to do with it, but we're going to try to do <clears throat> something with it. And then when we're done, after today, when we close out Matthew 13, we're going to go into something called nuts and bolts for the next few months. So we're going to take a break from Matthew, and we're going to go into nuts and bolts, bolts which is kind of just like the door 101, like Christianity 101. We're going to kind of hit a little of this and that, um, and, uh, and then it's kind of vision casting, okay? I'll just go ahead and let you know that. Um, and uh, it's, it kind of helps calibrate us and center us all on what matters and why we're here, right? And so we're going to do that for the rest of the summer, then we'll come back to Matthew. So let's go ahead and close this out. Um, Matthew 13, 53 through 58, which says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get his wisdom and his mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not, uh, is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Um, how many of you get to Lapine ever? Not a real big town, not a fantastic destination. Some of you live there. Um, the main boulevard in Lapine, 97, that goes through Lapine has a name um, on it. And that name is uh, Ashton Eaton Boulevard. Does everyone remember who Ashton Eaton is? Right? He kind of like went to the Olympics and cleaned up, right? Well, the dude's like from Lapine. And uh, graduated, I think, high school there and, and whatnot, and that's why they did that. And so they ended up after the, I think it was the 2012, I want to say London Olympics, uh, Lapine decided to name the main street after him due to how proud they were of him, right? Like, he, he's, uh, he's celebrated there. He's honored there. He's revered there, and he's appreciated there, and he's what you might call a hometown hero in Lapine. And he's a hometown hero for doing well at the Olympics, for running well, for jumping well, for throwing things well, Right? And then um, we read our text today, and we have Jesus, the Son of God, in his hometown. And um, I don't think, I think it goes without saying that God in the flesh was not a hometown hero. Uh, there's no street that was named after him, no celebration. We don't see a parade or a statue that's put up in the town square. There's no honor or reverence or pride in his accomplishments. There's no appreciation. There's just disdain and skepticism and offense. And this is our text today. So you're welcome. I, I don't know what... To, I, and, and so like what we see here with Christ is him doing what he always does, right? Just being awesome. And um, we see man pretty much doing what he always does. 
uh, being not so awesome towards Jesus. And so um, I thought that uh, there's some things that jumped out here, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in this text that kind of hit me. Um, I think that I can see a little bit of myself in these people here, and uh, it's possible that you can too. And so I kind of thought that we would go that direction today, make four observations out of this text, maybe five. We'll see how long-winded the preacher is. So um, Jesus is physically and he's publicly home at this point. He's teaching in the synagogue there openly before them. And so what we see is his hometown people um, making their evaluation of him, their response to this one who has been going around and baffling all the people of Israel. And so uh, the first thing that jumped out at me when I looked at this text, um, point number one, Don't judge a book by its cover. Um, I'm an expert at this. It's one of my many talents uh, is to prejudge and presuppose and uh, make very quick accusations. I do it all the time. I do it literally with books, which is where the saying comes from. Uh, uh, Reading is a lot of work to me. Um, And so I'll, I'll look for a lot of reasons to not have to. Uh, one of them is to read the title to see if it interests me or not, or maybe the back cover. Um, and I can tell pretty quick by doing that if it's something I'm going to spend any time on or it's something that I'm going to hand off and give away. I do the same thing with movies, with previews. Praise God they're there sometimes because it saves a couple hours of my life on something dumb. Uh, but um, I, I can tell pretty quick with a preview if I'm going to even, even give that movie a shot uh, or not. Um, sermons. I listen to most of my sermons, most of my continuing education that goes on as a pastor with, when it's not with these guys is on YouTube. Uh, yes, these things can be horrible resources, and yes, they can be awesome ones. Depends on what it is you're punching into the search machine. And um, I like to go in, and I like to gorge on sermons. And I can tell usually within the first 30 seconds if I'm going to sit through the rest of that sermon or not. It may be the sound of the dude's voice. It may be his cadence or how quick or how slow he talks. Like it's a million little things, and I'll make, I'm just done. Like I've made my decision uh, really quick. And yes, of course, I also do this with people, with you. I'll oftentimes classify a person in the first five minutes of meeting him and decide whether they're worth my time or not. And yes, I'm a pastor. And yes, I am sorry that I do this. This is not a boast. This is just truth. I praise God that over the years I've learned to give people ten minutes instead of five. And that's changed a lot, many times. When me and my wife were just in Tahoe, um, go ahead and judge me, I enjoy a cigar once in a while. And we were staying right on the state line, if you understand Tahoe, the, the, the state line runs straight top bottom across basically the center of the lake. And we were staying on that street, straight line, uh, state line street. And so if we looked to the left of us, it was all uh, casinos and everything else. And if you looked to the right, it was just shops, you know. And uh, so I, I thought, well, I, you know, I, I think I could probably go find a little cigar lounge tonight and sit down and relax a little bit. And so I did. And I walked into this place. It was kind of weird because it was on Memorial Day. And it's empty. It's completely empty. And the one guy sitting in there having a cigar is the guy that runs the joint. 
And so I went in and I sat down with this guy and we had a talk and we may come back to him later, I don't know, but we, we had a fantastic talk for a little over an hour, me and he, when finally two more people decide to walk in. And don't take me wrong, but they were both a couple good-looking dudes, all right? And they came in, and they went in the humidor, and they went up to the counter, and they bought a couple of cigars, and they sat down. And then they proceeded pretty loudly, pretty confidently, to let us all know that they had been married for 13 years, okay? And my head, at this time, is going, well, you know, like, I really should get home, you know? (laughs) Like, as soon as they find out that I'm a pastor, the, 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 the aggression, you know what I mean, is going to come out, and they're going to attack me with this and with that, and they're probably just these horrible, like, progressive liberals that hate people like me, and this whole, this, like, this whole night's just going to fall apart. And I had them pretty well pegged, but I decided to give them ten minutes instead of five. And, um, and in that, everything did come out, and uh, I didn't leave for another two hours, because these guys ended up pulling their chairs from across the room over to mine and asking me more questions about me and what I'm about and why I'm the way that I am than I even could ask about them. And at the end, I got to share my entire testimony, um, how I got saved, um, why I got saved, what it's done to me. I got to share openly about the God of the Bible and why he does things the way that he does things. And how truth is always truth, no matter who you are. And when I went to leave, um, they, they both embraced me with hugs, and they weren't that kind. They were good ones. They were ones of appreciation and respect. And they told me, they told me, thank you for sharing your story with us and your God with us tonight. Why? Yeah, what, well, because I didn't completely judged those books by the cover and stayed. It afforded me an opportunity to speak to a people who needed to hear the things that I had to say, that God had to say um, to them. And, And so we, you know, I think the point is obvious. We should be really careful about how quick we jump ship with certain people. God's always got um, opportunities for us. It turns out that these two, though I and God disagree with their lifestyle, were people that were made in the image of God, who have value to God, and then were able to hear words of life from God because we sat and didn't run, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 5, check this out, 11 through 15 says this, Actually, I should get there. <laughs> I thought I had it written on my notes, and I'm like, yeah, no. Uh, give me a second. Knowing the fear of the Lord, the Apostle Paul says, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope that it is also known to your conscience. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He goes on to say, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about, listen to this, outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And then it goes on with the love of Christ 
compels us. What does this mean? Well, people in the church at that time continued to question the Apostle Paul because him and his life and the other apostles around him and their lives didn't add up to something great in their minds. He wasn't impressive when you looked at Paul. He wasn't wearing nice clothes. He wasn't prosperous. He wasn't living the good life. He wasn't even living the normal life, right? Like, like the cover of this book of the Apostle Paul, quite frankly, was an unattractive mess. And Paul is saying here that the ministry of reconciliation, this thing that Christ has made us a part of, truly is about the gospel. And when it's truly about the gospel, it will yield a disposition. And it will yield a lifestyle that doesn't give a rip about being impressive, but about dispensing life at all costs to people who need it, accomplishing the mission. That's what Paul is saying. No one displayed and lived this out more than Jesus did. Than Jesus did. But these guys in Jesus' hometown just read that unimpressive cover and they concluded that they didn't want anything to do with what was inside the book. This is a colossal shame. This is a colossal mistake because the contents of Christ, regardless of the initial presentation, were the greatest thing they could ever read. The greatest thing. The contents were the greatest thing they could ever discover, and so it is true for us with Christ, which brings us directly to the next point, the thing that jumped out at me, number two, calling trumps credentials. You're calling trumps any credentials you might have or might have built or might have put together and stored up for yourself while you've been on earth. We get this wrong so many times. Calling trumps credentials. Calling trumps history. Calling trumps background. How many of you can say amen? Don't look into mine. Don't look into mine. Calling trumps upbringing. Calling trumps relation. It trumps degrees. It trumps pieces of paper validating our educational achievements. And, and, and here's the thing. We need to know this because in our world, education has become king. It is everything. That is the gospel to the unbelieving world. We just need to be more educated. No, when people are just more educated, they just become smarter sinners. That's it. That's it. There's nothing there that can save you, that can give you what you really, truly need. And yet the solution for everybody and everything these days is got to educate them more. That's the problem. They weren't educated enough. <laughs> it's, not, it's not true. I'm not saying education's bad. It is not the answer, people. It is not the answer. In God's kingdom, in God's economy, calling, calling trumps everything else that you think you might have that might qualify you. Right? And when I say calling, what I mean is the determination of God's purpose upon a man. That's what we're talking about. God's uh, determination of purpose upon a man. And while we all say amen to that in the church, um, the question is, do we really mean it? Because I still think that we get caught in thinking the other way. I think that's our, our, our tendency. Um, the first question I'm always asked in Brent gets this too, like when we go to pastor's conferences or um, I go guest speak somewhere, right? And someone comes up to me. The first question I'm almost always asked is, where'd you go to seminary? Like, where'd you get your training? Where did you get your formal education? 
And then, like, as soon as my answer comes out, um, there's usually no other questions that follow. Because <laughs> I, I don't have one. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a high school dropout. You know, I think I'm sitting on, like, third grade math right now in my brain. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have anything, right? And that usually kind of, like, like, kills the, the conversation, like, right, right away. I have... No certificates hanging on my wall. I have a Star Wars poster, <laughs> seriously, uh, hanging over my desk. Um, I have no abbreviated letters preceding my name or following my name, right? Um, I mean, in an instant, when I answer that question, I, I become a nobody, like kind of a commoner, you know, to these trained guys, not someone worth listening to. And you know what? They're right. Um, David Adam Thompson uh, is not worth listening to, but Christ in me and the gifts and calling of God that he's placed upon me is, is. This is infinitely more true with the man Jesus, is it not? Um, And this guy actually had credentials. (laughs) He actually had some pretty good, I mean, you know, second person of the Trinity, that's pretty rad, you know? Like, that one's, that one's hard to beat, you know? What's your formal training, you know? Uh, I'm God, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Jesus was the only begotten of the Father, right? He had a divine nature. He had a, a one-of-a-kind humanity in complete righteousness, an eternal existence, a kingship over all that exists. And yet consider that in these things, He... Being God chose not to come as one who was formally educated. Have you ever thought about this? God could have come however he decided to come as a human being. And he did not come as one who would be formally educated. Weird. He he chose not to go through the pharisaical ranks, right? He was not a professor, He was not an institutional elite, and and yet was much more than those things in every way possible. In every way possible. How comforting is that for you and I? Right? Like, this is why we're useful at all, regardless of our background and our history and that that blood trail and that purple, that, that paper trail. That runs behind us, right? That, like, like, that God bases our usefulness and effectiveness not on earthly, formal credentials, but on calling from Him? How amazing is that? Like, we're useful. We're useful. You are, the Bible says, a new creation. All things have become new. There's always going to be people, especially the people that know us best, that kind of can point back there and be like, yeah, but like, you did that. You said that, right? And God says, not anymore. I'm making all things new. I'm doing something new with you. You might have looked like that, and you might have done that, and you might have said that. But I'm going to do something else now, right? These guys despised and rejected the one in which they needed most because they esteemed credentials and paid no attention to God's calling. I want you to consider real quick Isaiah 53, this one portion which I know you're all familiar with, which says that Jesus grew up before the Father like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him 
If he was in a lineup or he was in a crowd at the mall and you were walking by, there would be nothing about the appearance of Christ that would draw your eyes to him. It's not the way our, our pictures portray it and our paintings portray it. He's this really good-looking, blonde surfer dude, you know? <laughs> Stands out a little bit. Good features. Hmm. Isaiah says something else about that. He had no beauty that we should desire him, Isaiah goes on to say. He was despised and rejected by men, and he was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief as one from whom men, you and I, hid our faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Why? Because he didn't look special. Because he didn't live special. Because he didn't prosper well. Because he didn't have a PhD. Because he didn't um, at any uh, point to an institution and go, that's where I went. Right? And so it is with us. So it is with those who follow Jesus, people. Consider who this room is filled with for a moment. And um, I'm sorry, but it's true. Um, And I know, of course, myself first. Uh, who I am and where I've been, you know what I mean? Um, I see, for the most part, some pretty common people, uh, maybe even some marginalized um, people, right? Um, But these are the people in this room, the people who make up the army of Jesus. So we ain't pretty and we ain't noble as far as the world is concerned, but we are dangerous to Satan, sin, and the lies of the lost because God has made us so, right? We are game changers even in this cosmic thing that we find ourselves in the middle of, not because we've decided to be, but because he who has the power over all things and everyone has decided it to be so. Listen to this, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And guess who that pattern started with? Jesus. Not because he was foolish, or weak, but he definitely appeared to be all those things, and he chose to come that way. Pretty weird to think about. He is the forerunner that baffled the minds and perceptions of the world by how he chose to come. He modeled and he presented himself in life like those that he would come to save. You and I. Why? Why did God choose to do it this way? Well, it's the next line in that uh, text that I just read. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's why he chose to do it that way. That's why he chooses to save the likes of us people. It's so that when something awesome comes out of us, something life-changing or game-changing in somebody's life and soul, and salvation comes forth, They know that God did it and not you. They know that God did it and not me. They know that it was 
a miracle and a supernatural occurrence. Because you and I are not capable of things like that and the world knows it. Right? This is all about spotlights going this way. All of it. Right? You can go to school and you can learn about quantum physics, you can learn about microbiology, you can specialize in human behavior, but none of them will have an upper hand on knowing this, that Jesus died for sinners. This is the greatest piece of knowledge that anybody can ever know. And Paul says that too here. Right? The knowledge of the gospel is supreme knowledge. There is no greater knowledge than this. And again, who gets the credit for it? Who gets the credit for what comes out of us? It is God. How? Calling, not credentials. That's how. Right? Not educational achievement. All right. These guys acknowledge that Jesus, his teaching here, it seems, was top tier. They're hearing that. This is why they're questioning things. His wisdom in the scriptures, top tier. His works, top tier. But they threw it all out because his presentation, his history, his background was not. Was not. Which brings us to the reason why. Number three, seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. Um, Jesus taught us not to throw our pearls before swine, and kind of what we have here is, a, is him demonstrating that for us by what he does or doesn't do here. He gives us an example, right? I mean, think about this. These people making this call on Jesus saw Jesus. I, th- I think sometimes we can sit around and be like, oh my gosh, what, what would that have been like? Like, how much would my faith be different if, if I was there to see him? Um, yeah, blessed are those who have not seen him believe. Like just because people saw him and knew him and watched him grow up and experienced him did not mean they had him. Those are two different things, right? Those are two different things. These guys had front hand, first hand, front row seats, they were eyewitnesses. I think like if anybody, like we tend to think like if anybody had a strong reason to believe, like no excuse to not believe, like it'd be guys like this, right? They had a major handicap, right? But they did not because seeing is not always believing, right? Um, proof in Christ, confidence in Christ, relationship with Christ, um, proof is not the magic password that opens the door to God. Faith is. Faith is. Without faith, Hebrews 11, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God. And because faith was absent in his hometown community, Jesus didn't indulge them. Like he didn't woo them. He didn't cast the pearls of his miraculous workings before them. He walked. See, Jesus didn't always do miracles to authenticate who he was so that people would believe. Like he sometimes did miracles to accompany the faith of those who already believed. And here he chooses not to because they didn't have any. They didn't have any faith. We see this clearly here. Verse 58, he did not do many mighty works there due to their unbelief or because they, verse 57, took offense at him. And I think that offense to us means that someone hurt us or did something bad towards us or trespassed against us. But offense here, it simply means to be against. It means to entrap. It means to trip him up. These guys were trying to trip Jesus up. They were against him. They were opposed to him. They wanted to see him fail, right? 
This is why they oppose the gifting and the calling and the power and the works and the words and the testimony of Christ. No faith equaling opposition toward the Son of God. But they saw, they heard, they watched, they knew. They had all the proof that they needed, but at the end of the day, they had no real deep personal conviction that this was the one sent from God. That which they needed most they lacked, and it's due to faith. I'll tell people this all the time, like when I'm, when I'm witnessing. In fact, there was a guy um, just a couple weeks ago that I had a chance to witness to, and he was brought up Catholic, and, and so he would like associate um, like, like he still had something good going with God because he came from a Catholic family, even though he went on to say that he doesn't agree with or believe in most of what he was taught. And so we got into the gospel, and it wasn't long before he started going to um, basically origins, you know, especially when it comes to the word of God. How can you trust that ridiculous thing? It was all the arguments. It's translated so many times over. It's like the game of telephone. He started doing this, this whole thing, right? And, and I finally stopped, because I've been here before with people, and I feel like this dude was smart enough, like I was doing him a favor. I finally just stopped and said, look, I can, an- I can answer every single one of these. I can give you a logical answer and explanation about the Word of God and the validity of the Bible with every answer you're asking me. But at the end of the day, even after I give you a valid answer all the way down the line. You need faith to know who wrote this and who this is from. Without faith, that knowledge, that, those valid answers, like, avail you nothing. You gain nothing by me just giving you smart answers to things. Faith matters to God, and without it, you will not know him. It's impossible to please him without faith. We must believe. We must have an inner conviction at the very root level that he is who he says he is for us in every way. That is that person who has a relationship with God. Um, Okay, final point. Let's go. Let's roll. Don't become sinfully familiar with holy things. This is for me. Okay. Don't become sinfully familiar with holy things. I think we see this in verse 57. It is possible that we can become so familiar with God and the things of God that we can cease to be amazed by Him. We can cease to approach and interact with humility and reverence and awe and worship with who he is and where he's at, what he's done, what he has the power to do, right? His divinity, his holiness, his majesty, his sovereignty. We can, we can approach soft, soft. Because this is true, the church and the people that make up the church can become mundane to us. Ordinary, ordinary, unimpressive, casual, right? Communion can become mundane. Prayer can become mundane. Witnessing, sharing the gospel with people who need it can become mundane. The gospel itself and the person of Christ can become mundane. I mean, Jesus can become so common to us in being our best friend that he ceases to be our I am. The voice of the burning bush which requires some sandals to be, like, taken off. 
because of the ground that you're standing on, right? He can become so common as to be just our homie that he ceases to be the one who treads the winepress of the wrath of God, which causes blood flow up to the horse's bridle. That's Jesus, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I don't know how many of you watched One Decent Pastor and listen to the podcast, but we talked about prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a perfect example of this, right? How Jesus taught us how to pray, he shows us this balance to keep us from just getting soft. He starts the prayer with my Father, our Father, right? I mean, how endearing is that? How, how close and near is that? How informal and natural and comforting is that, that we have that with God. And then it's followed with, holy is your name. Oh, here's, here's, the, here's the other side, right? So dad is close, and he is near, right? Like a good dad, and he loves us so intimately, like a good dad, and yet he is so, so far above us. He is so radically different than you and I are in every way. He is so majestic and perfect and sinless, right? And so it's this, it's this mystery of you and I enjoying both of those things, right? It's a dance. Like, he, he is one that we don't want to mess with. I mean, this is serious business, and yet he's one that has called us close, even in the state that we're in. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing that he's done. We must maintain the knowledge and the mystery of how close it is that we've been brought to him and yet how far from him we still are, how unlike him. Um, the downfall of these guys in Jesus' hometown, um, culminating in their lack of faith, is that they became sinfully, sinfully familiar and focused on the ordinary concerning a very sacred thing in Christ. Thus, Jesus says, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. How many of you have experienced this? It is true. It is true. Right? Can I get human again for a minute? I don't know how many times over the course of my life when I've gone to teach my wife something or my kids something that's very spiritual and biblical, profound even. And they just, you know, you know what I mean? Like get off shoe fly. You know what I mean? Just for a week later or two weeks later, someone else pops off the exact same thing, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And I'm like, yeah, I stink and heard it. You know? <laughs> you know? Right? Kids, same thing. They're so familiar with me and who I am that sometimes it's an obstacle to hearing something that's actually valuable. You know what I mean? It just sounds like that voice on the other end of the telephone in Charlie Brown, you know, when I talk, instead of something that maybe someone that has something to say every once in a while. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure none of you have experienced that. So <laughs> Jesus is saying that this is, this is real. Like, this is real for him, okay? They were so sinfully familiar. Dude, your dad was a carpenter, Right? Your mom, Mary, she's right here. We know who your mom is. We know who your brothers are. We have your sisters here too. Like we know exactly who you are, right? 
They were, they, were, they were so inundated with that that they could not see the sacred. They could not see who they had standing in front of them. And I pray that you don't go that direction in your relationship with the Lord. If you do, I pray it's a, it's a quick trip down <laughs> and that repent, repentance quickly follows. And I know that I do. I know that I'm apt to do that as well. Don't become that familiar. All right, where are we? Um, All right, let's just shut this thing down. How's that? Never cease to be amazed that the one who is so far above you has come near to you and drawn you close. When we are aware of his eternal power, glory, and holiness, his sacredness, it produces humility, not boredom in our relationship with him. It produces worshipful response, not casual disposition with him. Um, I have known the Lord for 30 years now. I am so grateful that he allows me to call him father, to call him father. And at the same time, I'm so amazed that the one who calls me son is altogether holy. Like he sees me for who I am and yet he calls me son. Like, it's an, it's an amazing thing. All right, what's the bottom line of this text? It is this. Jesus came to save, not to impress. Jesus came to save people, not to impress people. Jesus came to save, not to impress. This is important for us to know as his ambassadors, because we now get to join in on this deal. The, the, the Father's business of saving people through the gospel of Christ, you and I have been called into that. So it's part of what we get to do. So it's important that we know how Jesus says and it it should be done and how he modeled that it should be done because it can be easy for us to get caught up in impressing people for Jesus or impressing people to Jesus. I know I've done it many times. You know what I mean? Like, oh, someone's going to look at, you know, because I'm this way and not like those other stuffy Christians they've met, and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, let me come see where you go to church, and let me come meet that Jesus. You know, I, I think that way sometimes. Like I, like I can, you know, work these little strategies to impress people to Christ. Doesn't, it, it doesn't need to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way. Impressing people with who we are or how we look or how much we know or what we've accomplished is only bad. The only wild card that you and I really have is Christ when it comes to evangelism. It's the only wild card that we have. With us, in us, and through us. We must remember, first and foremost, that Jesus is the most impressive thing about us. Christ is the most impressive thing about you. And he is the most impressive thing about me. And not only is he the most impressive thing about us, but the only true life-giving thing about us, which is what all men need. They need life in Christ. Paul says, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's what we're talking about here. It's that when God works through us, 
and they look at us, there's nothing else they can point to to go, that did it. That pulled me in. That won me over. <laughs> right? It's just the power of God that they have run into. Right? And they know it. No matter what men see or think of us, take comfort in the fact that God works in spite of us. Okay? This is encouraging to me. It should be encouraging to you. We can be so scared going out there and evangelizing. We can be so scared to open our mouths with somebody who doesn't know the Lord or even is opposed to God, but you, you don't need to be because the power of God is sufficient and able through you to accomplish all things that he desires with the gospel of Christ. Jesus is the best thing about us, and Jesus is the best strategy that we have, period. All right? Lord, thank you for uh, this text. Um, thank you that we can look into uh, even, I don't know, awkward texts like this and, and be taught lessons, um, kind of have a mirror held up. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would honestly examine ourselves and how we approach you and how we approach others and what it is that we're really aiming for. I pray that we would be established in humility once again. What a, what a privilege. It is wild that you have enlisted us into the army of gospel proclaimers. That you changed the world through the likes of us. And, uh, and so help us to treat it well. Help us to take it seriously. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for your faithfulness, even when we are not. And it's in Christ's name that we give thanks. Amen.